Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of the New Yorker podcast presented by Visa. I'm your host, Olivia Landis. This week, we have ESPN NFL reporter and co-host of the First Take, Her Take podcast, Kimberly Martin. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me on the New Yorker podcast. I appreciate your time. Hello. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Kimberly, for those that are listening and those that are watching, um, I'm not sure if they know or not, but you actually covered the Jets for a very long time in the NFL before your position with ESPN. How long did you cover the Jets as a beat? <laughs> so I is actually, yeah, the Twitter OGs from back in the day have been with me for a while. Um, I actually was a backup Jets beat writer during the Rex and Sanchez days. And I got the official beat for Newsday, I think, 20, April 2012. So I think it was like 19 days after the team traded for Tim Tebow. So I hit the ground running as far as uh, first time beat ever. So yeah, the Jets were the first. And um, <laughs> I left, I think, training camp of Todd's last year. Was that like 2015, 16? I don't even remember. It's been a while, but, oh, 2017. Yeah, I left mm-hmm. in 2017. So it's been a while. And where did you get your start prior to becoming a Jets beat reporter? Because you said that you, you used to be a backup beat reporter, but mm-hmm. where did you start in writing prior to that? So I have this like crazy career path. I can't even call it a crazy journalism path, career path. Um, I worked in finance before I even got my master's in magazine journalism. Uh, I'm looking at you. Oh, I'm wearing orange too. Okay, go see. Um, <laughs> But I, I actually, the first job I started, I was an intern covering high school sports in Jersey for the Bergen record. And then after about a year and a half, I went to Newsday and worked my way up very quickly. Two years of covering high school sports on the island. Um, a, lot of, a lot of field hockey, a lot of men's basketball, football, and then two years as a GA, general assignment. So I covered a lot of Yankees games, a lot of Mets games. I covered the New York City Marathon. Uh, Hofstra, St. John's, um, Mad type. So, and then, you know, I did some Jets Giants bring in here and there for the regular writers. I did all of that prior to getting the full time beat. I was asked by my editor at Newsday, which beat do you want? You got to take one. So, do you want to cover the Jets, the Mets, or that time the Nets were moving to Brooklyn? And I was like, well, I've been around the Jets a little bit. Covering Rex, <laughs> covering Rex won't be so bad. So that's how I ended up covering the Jets. And you mentioned that you covered high school sports actually for a while. How much did that help prepare you for the bigger steps in your career covering some of those smaller type of sports? I think, you know, that when I used to talk to college students or just high school students, I would actually say I missed covering high school sports a lot. And I think when you're in it, when you're in class, and you want to be a journalist or you want to be a writer, you think, oh, I can't wait to cover the Yankees full time. I can't wait to have this beat. But high school, you know, and I didn't cover high schools like that long. When you think about, I moved up really quickly, which was great, but I didn't miss the high school days because you're the first people to interact with these high school athletes. You know, like Greg Olson like, is from Jersey. You know what I mean? There's so many kids that, that come from these cities that you're in and you're covering them on the ground floor and you're getting their stories. You're telling their stories first. So a lot of times as a pro writer, as a national writer, 
when you do research on guys, like you call up some of the, the articles that were written about them in high school and college. So I always tell, I always tell students like, don't be in such a rush to start covering the Yankees or start covering the Jets or the Giants or, or the Knicks or something like that. That will come, but you cut your teeth, you know, the mistakes that you can make, um, learning about sports, you can make those mistakes on a smaller level and, and the spotlight isn't on you and it allows you that time to grow and get better and to develop your writing chops before you're covering the Yankees and somebody's reading your stuff and like, oh, does he or she know what they're talking about? Uh, yeah. So yeah, I love high school sports. And you, you talked about how sometimes when you write these high school sports stories, oftentimes when these kids go to college or end up in the pros, you said you'll refer back to those stories. Has that happened to you pr- prior? Have you been able to go back to a story you wrote about a high school athlete and kind of be like, Hey, I wrote this story about you in the past. Let's connect again. Uh, you know, what's crazy. I actually covered Tobias Harris um, on Long Island and I have not covered the NBA in yeah, uh, more than a decade. Cause I've been covering, the, covering football for a decade, but I remember when Tobias Harris went to, he's from Long Island. So he went to, Long I, he went first, he went to Half Hollow Hills West out in Suffolk. And then I covered him at uh, Long Island Lutheran. So it's crazy to think about, you know, there weren't a ton of Long Island athletes that I covered that ended up going on to, you know, be big and bad in the NBA or NFL. But, um, you know, like somebody like the Brickishaw Ferguson, I didn't cover him, you know, but the fact that I worked for Newsday, like he had a connection. He was from Freeport, you know, when you sit down in a locker room and you're able to talk to a guy and you're able to call up articles in the archive about, you know, him being all Long Island, like that kind of stuff. Like that's really cool. Um, I know Long Island and New York isn't really a hotbed of football talent, but um, when you have those rare kids that, that you do see go on and become and mature and grow and you're just like, whoa, um, that's pretty special, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it, I think it could be very special as well. You mentioned cutting your teeth in the industry. You said that when you start off with the small stuff, the high school sports covering that, you said that's really how you get your footsteps in and that's how you're able to make those mistakes. What made you different in your eyes? Because being a person... A woman, especially in this industry, mm-hmm. uh, the sports industry can oftentimes be very, very competitive. So when you were kind of making your way through writing and then moving up on in your career, what to you in your eyes made you different and stand out from other people? Uh, I tell, I actually tell this a lot. Um, the mistake that I made when I got on the jet ski was I, I wanted to blend in with the other beat writers. I wanted to, you know, I was looking at it like, oh, well, Rich Zanini's been covering the Jets, you know, for as long as some of us have been alive, you know, like that kind of thing. And I love Rich also, so she's got, um, but I think it took me about a couple years to realize that that's actually the worst thing I could do because what makes somebody like Rich Zanini great is not the thing that's, that's going to make me great. Like we're different, you know different age, you know, different genders, different ethnicities, like the way that I see the world is completely different. And I think for me, I was a psych major undergrad. I was a psych and African-American studies double major undergrad at Wesleyan University in Connecticut. And 
I thought that I was going to go on and pursue the psych degree. So the shift to journalism, I always like to write, but the shift to journalism, it was important that I lean on that psych background because every interaction you have with people, that's, you're trying to get to know them. Like I think sometimes in sports journalism, we, we tend to treat athletes like, like that they're all that, all that they are, are athletes and, and nothing else. And we talk about them getting cut and, and, you know, losing starting jobs in like a really callous way in general. And I think what I try to do and go in locker rooms and develop relationships, like, you know, ask guys about their kids and their families and their moms. Like I, I, I would love talking to like Austin Howard's mom. Like I would just be like, Hey, how you doing? You know, like, that, because I think when you start to, it sounds really basic, but I don't think enough journalists do that. I think they, they look at these athletes um, and see them as you know, three-dimensional figures who also have interests, hobbies, and dreams outside of playing football. Um, and especially as you mentioned, being a woman, being a Black woman is a totally different thing. So, you know, when you walk into locker rooms and you see people that look like you or might see you as a sister or or you know I think it's a, incumbent upon me to also bring that humanity and I think that that's the thing that I've strived to do when talking to coaches or players um yeah the who the Jets are signing like that is important football stuff but I think I the thing that's always drawn me to sports reporting and storytelling is being that person that an athlete or a coach can trust with, you know, really sad stuff, heartbreaking stuff, triumphant mm -hmm. stuff. And they trust you to tell their story and to tell it right. And, and to, to be that conduit between them and the fans and give the fans a different perspective of a player they may only love on the field. Yeah, you brought up Oh, great point. I'd actually love to dive a little bit deeper into that. Talking about relationship building mm -hmm. and how that's super important, especially as a journalist, like you mentioned, to bring that human aspect of these players and to, to build that trust. That way, you know, you're not just asking questions when you need an answer for an article or, right. or you're not just talking to them when you need to talk about football, kind of providing that human aspect. I oftentimes tell people a lot how important that is especially when you're inside that locker room and the players are seeing you come in and do your job every single day to build those relationships and to build almost like a friendship to where people can trust you is super important. But you mentioned, like you said, from your perspective, being a black woman, it's you said that it was important for you to be able to tell those stories. Why is it so important to have so many different voices, especially you being a black woman in this industry. Why is that so important to be able to share your opinion and share your perspective? Because, I mean, when you look at sports journalism, there aren't a lot of faces that look like mine. And I mean, black women. Um, you know, like I left the Jets seat August of 2017 and I went to Buffalo and I remember people were like what the hell are you doing going like why would you leave New York even though Buffalo's New York you know but it's <laughs> yeah. um like why would you go all the way to western New York when you're here in like the top media market the reason I went was because they the Buffalo News created a position for me to be a sports columnist and because they wanted my voice 
And they realized that in that market, I was the first person that ever looked like me that would have their, you know, their picture, their headshot on the front page of the sports section and bring a different perspective that was much needed and long overdue. Um, and so like that, like that job, I think for me, it was really important because I didn't want to leave Jersey, New York City. I'm a Brooklyn girl. Like I didn't want to leave this area, but for me, the opportunity to, to write about things from my perspective to at least, you know, be able to talk to players about, you know, and at that time in Buffalo it was like, you know, President Trump and like the kneeling and Kaepernick and it was just all these things that were taking place on the football field or, you know, before games and was bleeding into politics and social justice and so to have my frame of reference to know what it's like to be a person of color in America, you know, um, that's a unique perspective. It's a unique perspective to be a black woman in America. And then to also be a black woman covering black at predominantly black athletes in the NFL. Like I, I think there is a, sometimes there's a level of comfort. There's a level of understanding. There's some things that don't need to be explained because you, you share that experience or that perspective. Um, but it's also an opportunity to, you know, challenge people on some of the things they say or ask or probe deeper, um, you know, and, and it's not just black athletes. Like I, you know, I, I've, I've talked about social justice and, and, and things like that with, with, with white athletes too. It's not, it's not just a black thing, but I think because issues affect me personally, I'm curious about what guys may think because you can't be a black athlete and not be thinking about what it's like to be a black man in America. You know what I mean? You don't just like, yeah. you don't just like, you know, zipper, like the, you know, the suit off and hang it up and then go play like football and then like put it back. You know, it's like, that is mm -hmm. part of your everyday existence. And I think that's what I mean when I say in sports journalism, we don't look at the whole picture of athletes. We just care about, okay, fantasy like how many like how many points are you gonna get me on Sunday like are you starting are you injured what's going on um and all that is important but there's another side too that that you can also focus on absolutely and do you feel like when you were able to be there like you said they created that position for you do you feel like you made a difference while you were there I make a difference um like or even that so. your voice was heard. you know what you know? no I I it definitely was it definitely was and I remember when I was in Buffalo like I remember people you know would tweet at me like why do you always talk about, like why do you even mention that you're a black female sports columnist and that and like why can't you just be a sports columnist and I said because I think there is there's a there's a need for me to own that space and to say you know at ESPN I'm the only black female national NFL TV reporter that we have right now that's not to say that I'm super special because my mom thinks I am but that's not I'm not <laughs> you know more special than anybody yeah. else but that's to just show that you know it is 2021 and we have had a black president and we you know we have a a female vice president who's a woman of color. Um, 
so steps are made, but it's, but I always wondered why people were so triggered by like, why are you like bring up race? Like, what's the problem? And it's like, it's it, it, like to act like, like sports and politics and social, like they're not connected, I think is wrong. Like historically we've seen that. So when you ask me, did I make a difference in Buffalo? I think people took notice of the stuff I wrote for sure. Um, be, just because, especially at that time, because like I said, with Trump and the players and all that stuff, there was a lot of discussions happening in locker rooms. There were a lot of protests, you know, like I remember a story where I was driving to the Bills stadium for practice and I saw veterans holding flags. Like they were Bills fans, but they were protesting guys kneeling and like LaShawn McCoy, like not saying for the anthem and stuff like that. And I went and talked to them. And, and got their perspective. And then I walked right into the locker room. I was like, hey, do you guys know that there's, there are veterans outside, like protesting? You know, what are your thoughts? And what would you want them to know about why you did this and talking to players? And um, I just think being able to see football beyond the white lines, I think is, is really, and it's not just football, like all sports, uh, I think is really important. And that, you know, that was an A1 story. Um, and it got a lot of feedback because those people who were protesting got to to read quotes from ath the athletes that they cheer for on Sundays, but they were frustrated mm -hmm. with. And the athletes got to give their side of it and say, these are these are topics that are important to me. Here's why. And you hope that through the dialogue, through listening and understanding that people can see different perspectives. And how important was it for you to be able to tell those stories? Because like you said, you you got both sides of the story. You were able to approach fans or veterans who were protesting something. And then you were able to walk, like you said, right into that locker room mm -hmm. and talk to those very same players. How important was it for you to be able to tell those stories? It was it was really important because, again, the reason I was in Buffalo is because nobody looked like me. And that's not a knock on Buffalo. Like on the jet seats, there wasn't anybody that looked like me either. Um, and you think like New York City, like super like melting pot of the world, you know, um, but it's very important because when everybody's got a unique perspective, but I think when you are, whether you're a woman, whether you're a person of color, like I think those um, added pieces of your identity do color how you see things and, and it triggers what stands out to you. Like one of the most important stories I ever wrote was was on the form like Mike McCagden and his wife and talking about domestic violence and how a friend of theirs you know was murdered by her husband across the street from where they live like I'm sitting with the Jets general manager and he's in tears talking about what that day was like and the signs that they missed and talking to his wife about why you know she supports like the One Love Foundation because you know there's so many signs and relationships and we think hey like that's their business. Uh, like who am I to pry or whatever? And they're, you know, looking back, they're all, there may be signs that we miss and how it's important to get younger people to understand the, the warning signs, so to speak. So like, those are the stories that, that I think about, you know, mm -hmm. as a writer who's transitioned on the TV, even though I still write columns and, and articles for ESPN. Those are the stories that that I'm going to carry with. Those are the stories that I talk about when I do podcasts or interviews or speaking engagements. Not that, you know, I was there for the butt fumble. I was there, like I was there in yeah. person for like all sorts of football things. But it's the the 
the impact that that and that trust that you generate with people and to tell their stories like that to me why else would you be doing this if you didn't want to have that sort of impact and do you think Kimberly we're seeing a change a little bit in how storytelling is going in regards to professional athletes because I think there are a lot of individuals who have the same mindset as you and want to go out and tell these humanistic sides of these stories so in your time as a as a professional writer and reporter over your career, have you seen a shift in interest um, in regards to people also wanting to hear those human sides of the stories and not just the X's and O's? I think people do want to hear them, right? But I I don't know. Like uh, sometimes, you know, I just had this conversation with someone the other day, you know, talking about like documentaries and how the ability to visually go into people's homes, neighborhoods, environments, and and be that lens um, and sort of transpose their story to like the masses. Like, how come more people don't don't you know watch documentaries, or how come more you know um, when when newsrooms are cut, you know when when people are cut, it's like, hey, we gotta we gotta slash that that feature story you wrote. We don't have space in the paper. We gotta cut the cut the paper so your 2000 word story now is you know 800 words or you know when you go to different departments and in news organizations it's like the long form reporting departments like they seem to get like cut first and I don't feel I don't know I, I as somebody who is all about human interest stories as much as as what happens on the court and on the field I find it disheartening sometimes, but, but because I am so committed, I'm drawn to those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, I will always push to, to write human interest stories. I will always, um, I, I fought with a lot of editors on, you know, this needs to be the amount of words that I say it needs to be um, because I believe in the story. Um, I hope fans want that as much as they want the box scores and want the fantasy updates, all of that is important. But I think if we, I think this is a societal issue too. If we don't start seeing people as their full selves and understand what, and what people are going through and be sensitive to, to other people's situations that are different than ours. I think that's where, I think it bleeds into, you know, that, that behavior of not, looking at people like seeing people but not really looking at them and and understanding them i think that bleeds into sports um so if we can sort of you know again look at people as three-dimensional figures and and understand what their journeys have been like i think um hopefully fans will will read that stuff will tune into those documentaries and features and all that stuff because it's important definitely important and i think as long as we have writers and individuals like you who are willing to tell those stories and willing to share them out out in the world hopefully people are going to be more and more interested in getting to know who these athletes are outside of like you said your fantasy football team or outside of the field and the court this might be hard but can you recall one of your favorite humanistic stories you've ever been able to tell there's probably a lot of them but can you maybe recall one that sticks out uh, you know the McHagan one is a is a top 
top three for me. Um, when I, I actually worked for the Washington Post, one of my many journalism jobs before you said, um, <laughs> between the Jets and the ESPN, um, I worked for the Washington Post covering the Washington football team. And they had an assistant coach who actually played for the team. He was a draft pick. Um, and he was injured during a game. Like he physically went, like he felt like his legs go numb and like he had lost feeling you know, on one side of his body, his arm. And like the story was about, um, named Kaisan Jarrett, like the story was about how he, you know, I talked to him when he was a, you know, an intern and wanted to be a coach, you know, and, and he was still with the organization. And he took me through that moment of getting hit, you know, helmet to helmet and, and how it felt and the, the stinging pain. And, you know, even now, like his arm is still, like one of his arms still thinner, but like, you know, the muscle isn't, you know, where it needs to be. He wanted to still play and like, and all those emotions of, you know, he's from, he's from the area, like wanting to, you know, he was like a fan favorite. And then all of a sudden it just stopped, you know, it's like the, the football mm -hmm. stopped. Now we're worried about, Hey, your range of motion, like, Hey, what kind of life are you going to be able to live? Um, you know, like we sat for over an hour and like when you, when you felt like the Oprah, Barbara Walters, like when you get people on the brink of emotion or you, you see the tears fall, like you understand in that moment, like, holy crap, like they are, you know, like mm -hmm. they are being so forthcoming and there is no better feeling for me, not because I made somebody cry, but because they, they trust me enough in the, like it's a safe enough space where they can mm -hmm. go back and like relive those moments but that's the the most stressful these stories the the human interest stories are the most stressful for me like panic inducing because you're like I have to get this right I have to nail it you know like when you profile Pam Oliver it's like she's an idol like you have to nail it like you have like she's telling yes. you about her life and her struggles like you can't make factual mistakes. Like you, you need, you want to paint the scenes for people who aren't, who weren't there, you know? Um, so yeah, like Pam Oliver profile and the Kaisan Jarrett profile. Um, yeah, those are, and Troy, profiling Troy Aikman, because he's Troy Aikman, um, to, to that for <laughs> Yahoo as well. Like that, that's, that's, um, that is cool. That is very cool to see people that you admired on the field or, you know, in the, you know, broadcasting game to be able to, that they are sitting down with you and trusting you to tell their stories and then are um, amazed, like, wow, you, you really did capture me. If somebody says, you told my story well, I think there's no greater compliment that a journalist could get. I can, I can imagine. I can imagine how that feeling must feel when, when you hear somebody or somebody looks you in the eyes and says, wow, you really captured or told my story well. I can literally just imagine the feeling that that is. <laughs> How do you deal it's with great. that pressure? Because you said there's not a pressure. Well. Not well, girl, not well. <laughs> um, it is, I tell you, when I write those kind of stories, like I don't sleep. Like I, I really? am up working, you know, um, I think we all have parts of the day where we are most productive. I just happen to know I am not uh productive between the hours of two and five like I don't know what it is about the like latish afternoon early evening I just cannot but I'm very productive in the like five o'clock 
to like 7 a.m. or, you know, 11 o'clock to like 4 a.m. Like I know nighttime, early morning, that's my gym. So I, that's when I'll work. Like, and I don't sleep and I drink more coffee than I normally drink, which is a lot. Um, because you're just so stressed. Like you, you stress over every word. Like as a writer, like every word that's in there has a purpose like that like if you like you're that obsessive about it um the flow like I read sentences out loud like I say them out loud the flow like how you know the pacing um you know if all the sentences are really long like then it just drones on like you you know you want to grab the reader like if the if the lead of the story doesn't put a reader in a place and time and give them and sort of paint that picture for them then you did it wrong and so for and when you have these great interviews, you have a lot of great material to work with. What's the best way of getting into this person's story? Um, a lot of times I'll write like three or four different leads, you know, and stress over which one is right. Um, mm -hmm. So I remember doing that with, I profiled Alex Smith when I was at the Washington Post and I did that. That was like, I obsessed over that story because it was like, here's this guy coming to DC for the first, you know, he's got this crazy backstory between San Francisco and you know, Utah and Kansas City, and now he's here. Um, so yeah, like the, because somebody trusted you that much. So for you to sort of be flip or sort of like, eh, like, I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to one off this or like, I, like, I can't, I couldn't physically mm -hmm. do that. Um, and there's always that like stress of like, when you file it, like, until you hear, until you see feedback on Twitter, whether you hear from the person directly, until you get an idea of like, okay, how is this received? Like you don't, I don't relax because it's like, I think this is good. I hope yeah. this is good. Um, but until like, you know, until Troy Aikman hits you up like, oh, that was a good read, you know, like, or, or he, you know, I looked <laughs> him for the Pam Oliver story and he's like, that was great. You know, or Pam, is, or Pam Oliver leaves you a voicemail that's like, Kimberly, you did an amazing, and it's like, child I can breathe like but mm -hmm. I think that's what excites you about the writing being able to knock it out the park you know well on that note obviously there's a really big difference in the writing aspect to your job and then the reporting aspect to your <laughs> job on television what are some of the biggest differences that you've noticed from after you transitioned from I mean you still write like you said but now you're really on tv ma mainly yeah well first of all just understanding what this equipment is, what the terminology is, you know, yeah. I, and for people that don't know, I actually started at ESPN March 9th of last year. So I had rookie camp and then came home without like a phone, laptop, none of that said, you know, we were fist bumping, like elbow bumping, like, Hey, okay. See you. And bosses were sort of like, okay, we'll get you in studio like next month, whatever. And then like a day later, everything stopped because of COVID. So when you talk about a difficult transition to TV, you know, I had never had a TV job. Like I had done online stuff for Yahoo Sports, but it's not the same thing. So to not even have, like I have no idea what it's like to work at ESPN, not in a pandemic. Like that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was your no only base. Yeah, no frame of reference of what ESPN life or TV life is really like or how. So, so you know, the other reporters that have, you know, like my colleagues, like they've been on the sidelines, like pregame, like you've been talking to players. Like I've never had the experience 
you know, all the work that you do, it's, it's on the phone. It's like, you know, you're relying on PR people a little bit more um, or giving them a heads up, you know, cause you can't just grab guys when you want to in person. Um, teams became more of a gatekeeper, you know, when it came to access. So that's challenging. Um, you know, reporting's reporting. It, the, the challenge is no FaceTime, especially when you're new to a network. Um, but I've been lucky in that even during COVID, like I've, you know, I've co-hosted First Take, you know, with, you know, the, the two women that I do our podcast with, First Take, Her Take, you know, we've, we did the First Take, Her Takeover, uh, we did Get Up, you know, NFL Live. Um, it's more so about the reporting, you know, you do all this reporting in a story, I'm able to give detail, I'm able to paint scenes, TV, yeah, yeah, yeah you can't do any of that. You can give detail, but it's, it's, you know, depending on the show you're on, if it's Sports Center, if it's a pregame hit, if you're outside live in Heinz Field and, you know, the, the Ravens and Steelers are finally getting ready to play that Thanksgiving game three weeks later, you know, the hit that you do has to be just information. I talk to so-and-so or sources tell me, blah, blah, blah. But the, the clips are, you know, more condensed, like, hey, Sports Center talk for a minute. That's it. You know, this is a 25 second hit. This is that. Um, first take, talk for two minutes. You know what I mean? So it's, it's what I've learned about TV. It's how the reporting aspect, yes, is different because you don't get to be in locker rooms. You don't get to meet people for lunch. You don't get to introduce yourself in person, but it's how you, you deliver that information. That's a lot different. I don't have 2000 words to tell this amazing story. I got to let you know, Ravens and Steelers postponed three times because of COVID. These guys aren't expected to play. Game is supposed to kick off. You know, like that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is challenging when you've never done TV before. I should probably ask you some tips. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I think the great thing about it is, like, everything in my career, like, I have not listened to anybody when it comes to, hey, should I go to Buffalo? Or should I stay in New York? It's like, no, I'm going to Buffalo. No matter what people said, like, hey, I'm at the Washington Post. This is cool. Should I leave and go to Yahoo Sports and be a national writer and columnist? People are like, oh, I don't know. It's Washington Post. Like, should you leave? And it's like, no, I'm going to leave. Um, Yahoo Sports. Like, I'm happy. I didn't want a new job. Like, I was good. ESPN came, offered me a job. It's like, you know, like, I've been really lucky and blessed in the opportunities I've had. But I've also throwing caution to the wind a bit and said, I don't really care what other people think about how my journey should go because there's no blueprint for that's going to tell you be a psych and African-American studies double major at a small liberal arts school in Connecticut, work in finance, then get your master's in magazine journalism and then never work for a magazine only work for newspapers and then end up on TV. Like there is no, nobody has that journey and they probably shouldn't because that's crazy, but it's been great. It's been great for me because um, I think I I lean into what makes me me. And I think other people can see that I'm authentic and that I really do care about the work um, and stuff like that. So it's been, I've been really fortunate. Well, let's end it on a positive note right there. You mentioned the transition and how there's not a blueprint, but you said you're you're always yourself. You said you're not afraid to be authentic and you don't let other people tell you what to do. Like, no, I'm going to go here. 
Where does that confidence stem from? <laughs> I wish I do. Um, <laughs> don't like, listen, don't get me wrong. Like there is fear that's always lurking. Cause you know, um, especially being on national TV, everybody want to tell you like, Oh, like you messed up or you suck or whatever. And at times you're like, hmm. and other times you're like, you know what? No, I don't get out of here. Um, but where does it come from? I think because I didn't, I never set out. The only thing I said when I was younger was I want to cover the Yankees, which clearly I did get to cover them, but I was never a Yankee beat writer. And I, the other dream I had was write for ESPN, the magazine. But outside of that, I don't think I've ever had the five-year plan of like, I can't wait till I get to ESPN and I'm going to host Sports Center, or I can't wait to like be the co like host of Good Morning America. Like, I like, I don't think I have, I don't, I never said that. And I think because I haven't been so locked into what I should be, it's when these opportunities come, I'm able to picture, okay, if I stay where I am, what would my life look like? And if I take this opportunity, this leap of faith, what would my life look like? And oftentimes when I cannot picture what that next step would look like, then it's time for me to take that opportunity because that unknown and that maybe I can make it whatever I want it to be, um, as opposed to staying here when I know exactly what every day will look like, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And at each juncture, I've asked myself that question. And, you know, I think you just have to, you have to want to just try to do something else. Like there's, there's, if you are confident in your ability to work and grind and not, not just be like, everybody needs a brand, I get that. But the brand also can be like, I'm good at my job. Um, I care about the reporting. Like I've got to do the research. Like if you're putting in the work, then scary decisions are still scary, but they don't stop you. That fear doesn't stop you. And I think I'm just, listen, I, I'm from Brooklyn. Like I never thought that I'd be doing any, like I would read the daily news and being like, oh, Mike Lupica, this is pretty cool. Never thought I'd be in press boxes next to Mike Lupica. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. I think if you just throw caution in the wind a little bit and work hard and, and just trust that wherever you're supposed to be is where you're supposed to be, I think it, it generally works out if you're committed to the, to the craft. Well, that's an incredible note to end on. Kimberly Martin with ESPN. Thank you so much for joining me for the New Yorker podcast. It, wonderful, wonderful to talk to you and get to listen to your story a little bit more. So thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate it.